as we've announced, we're going to be looking at that this evening, and we'll be spending most of our time uh, in this psalm, although we might reference another passage or two, but mainly we're going to be looking at this this evening. While you're turning there, let me welcome each one. We're glad to have you in our number tonight. If you're a guest, uh, we hope that you'll come back and be with us on other occasions. I'm going to be, uh, and I start say on Sunday night, I might do this some on Sunday morning, it depends, um, over the next two or three months, looking at some psalms as we're reading through the psalms and uh, doing some lessons and commenting on it. Uh, different times through uh, the years, uh, I have not only read the psalms, but done some teaching and preaching and um, some devotional thoughts. Um, one time several years ago when I was preaching in Tampa, we took a month and uh, it was a 30-day month, so I'm trying to think what month it was, but it was one day, had, one month had 30 days. We, we just called it 30 Days of Praise, and we read through the Psalms in one month. Uh, but every time I read it, and actually this morning I was up early and I decided to read the chapters for our week's reading again through uh, this morning. I probably read it in about 30 minutes, maybe. It didn't take that long. So for a whole week, it's not going to take you very long to do our Bible readings. But what you're going to find, if you haven't spent any time in the Psalms before, this is a lot different than uh, some other readings that are maybe historical in their nature or uh, deal with a lot of factual kinds of things. Uh, this is very devotional, um, and, and it causes a lot of thought as you dig into it and you look at your life and you think about the psalmist. And every time I read it, I can see different uh, application and different things that speak to me. So I know this is a very familiar psalm, and I thought about maybe, well, let's just do one that's not familiar. Um, but I love the 23rd Psalm, and so I want us to look at that in its entirety of this evening. Uh, I think by way of in integrity, I need to I need to reference a couple uh, of outside sources because uh, I grew up in Indiana. We didn't have sheep. I grew up with cows and pigs. And so if the psalmist were talking about cows or talking about hogs, I, I might relate to that a little bit more. So I've had to do some outside reading to help me understand a little bit about some of the things the psalmist is talking about. Of course, David was a shepherd. And so a fellow by the name of Philip Keller has a book. Some of you, I'm sure, are familiar with it. A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. And so that's been very helpful to me uh, in doing that. Of course, Spurgeon's great works on the psalm in Psalm 23 uh, is helpful. And then another book that might not be quite as uh, uh, familiar to some of you by Dr. Charles Allen on uh, God's psychiatry. And in his first chapter, uh, Dr. Allen tells a story about a man that came to see him. And in the story, he says this was a man that he had admired very much, that he was a president of his company, but he had started out at the very bottom um, before he actually ended up owning the company. He said he was a man of unusual talent and energy and uh, an ability. But in Dr. Allen's words, he said along the way to success, he had left something out. And he said one of the things he did not achieve was happiness. He was a nervous, tense, worried, sick man. He tells how that he had gone to see a doctor, and the doctor had suggested to him that he talk with a counselor or a minister. So he came to see Dr. Allen. 
And he said as they discussed his tension and his problems and the prescriptions that the physicians had given him, Dr. Allen said, I took out a sheet of paper and I wrote down my prescription for him. And here's what it was. I prescribed the 23rd Psalm that he read it five times a day for seven days. I insisted, he wrote, that he take it just as I prescribed. He was to read it first thing when he awakened in the morning, read it carefully, meditatively, and prayerfully, and then immediately after breakfast, he was to do the exact same thing, immediately after lunch, again after dinner, and finally the last thing before he went to bed. He told them that it was not to be something that was quick or a hurried reading. He was to think about each phrase, giving his mind time to soak up as much as possible the meaning. And he said at the end of the week, he said, I promised that life would be different for him. Now, I want to confess to you, I've never done that. And so I can't really vouch for the fact. Of course, maybe I've never felt like this fellow felt exactly. But Dr. Allen says in his book, he said, that sounds simple. But he said it really isn't. And he makes the point, the power behind the 23rd Psalm. And the meaning that's behind the 23rd Psalm. He said he prescribed this to one man. And he told him he didn't have time to be bothered throughout the day to be reading it all day. And so he would just get up in the morning and read it for five times. And that would take care of it. And so Dr. Allen said, well, now, if your doctor gave you a prescription and you were to take it in the morning and after each meal before bedtime, do you think it would work just to take all five pills at one time? You think that's what the doctor? Well, no. He said, well, this is the same sort of thing. And he relates it to Proverbs 23, 7, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. And he makes the point that what we think about, we become. And so we have to put small amounts of things in our mind a little bit at a time to help us mentally and emotionally digest those things. And so it's not going to work just to read it five times. So as I thought about that, I thought, let's take some time and just go through these six verses. I think I read, I I could have checked this on my my, uh, computer program, that there's something like 180-some words in Psalm 23. I checked my word processor for my sermon notes tonight because I have an unusually longer outline than normal. And it was 2,550 words. Uh, I hope that doesn't suggest I'm going to preach twice as long tonight. We'll see. What I think it does suggest... This psalm is rich. And I'm sure I'm not going to recover every single thing I've got written down here. There is a lot here to contemplate and to think about. So I hope tonight as we kind of go through this phrase by phrase, even though you're familiar with the 23rd Psalm, please don't tune us out. Please follow along and give thought to what the psalmist is saying. Stephen's done a wonderful job in reading it. And so I'm not going to read it again. We're just going to begin and go through the phrases. And the psalmist begins, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, although it's probably apparent to you already in the sermon, knows what I've done. Would you fill in the blank if you're taking notes? 
and think about when we get done where you are with these phrases. The Lord is my shepherd. This has great meaning from the standpoint that David was a shepherd. We, we all know that. He's identified as the shepherd king of Israel. But here, he sees Jehovah as a shepherd. But not just a shepherd or any shepherd. He says, my shepherd. And what I want us to see tonight is this statement by David is more than just a metaphorical expression. What David is saying here is he is speaking of a simple, calm reassurance of someone that recognizes he who protects him, he who sustains him, he who leads him. He is my shepherd. Now, it follows, if the Lord is our shepherd, then we are the sheep. Now, we've all seen pictures of Jesus holding the little lamb, haven't we? And we present in our Bible class. And that's a very serene picture, isn't it? And it seems very sweet to think about that. I might suggest this may not necessarily be the compliment that it seems on the surface. Philip Keller says that sheep are some of the dumbest, dirtiest animals you can find. They are timid, they are defensive, defenseless, and they are helpless. And he says that they're always getting lost, hurt, or snake bitten. He said they literally don't know how to come in out of the rain. Now, when Isaiah said, we are all like sheep, Isaiah 53, 6, that kind of hurts a little bit. <laughs> of course, the end of that phrase, you know, we're all like sheep gone astray. And so the Lord is my shepherd. Now, Jesus is indeed the good shepherd. John 10 and verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is pictured there in this text as knowing the sheep, loving the sheep, caring for the sheep, protecting the sheep, guarding the sheep, supplying every need for the sheep. And so when we read Psalm, 24, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Let's think about each one of us individually. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The shepherd provides for the sheep. And just what we have suggested about the nature of sheep, they need provision. They need taking care of. They need tending to. They need to be led from pasture to pasture. They need all the things that are going to be enumerated as we go through Psalm 23. And again, Jesus said, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. He said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have life in all of its fullness. The NIV translates this about the Lord is my shepherd, and it translates this phrase, I shall not want, is I shall not lack anything. And that's what it means. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not lack anything. I remind a little girl that was asked to get up and recite the 23rd Psalm, and she got up and she began this way, the Lord is my shepherd and that's all I want. Well, she was off a little bit on the rendering, but that's not a bad commentary on this, is it? 
The Lord is my shepherd, and that's all I want. That's all I need. He's the only one that I need. When you're reading the Old Testament, God is the shepherd, sustained Israel. Throughout the wilderness wanderings, he provided for them water out of the rock to quench their thirst. He sent manna from heaven to take care of their hunger. You remember, he is the shepherd that fed Elijah by the brook. He delivered Daniel from the den of lions. He provided for the needs of the disciples and sent them out to preach without staff or purse. And he promises, I will supply your every need. And so when we think about whatever it is that we might need in life, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, we must begin with a psalmist, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And then David writes, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. I didn't know this about sheep, but it is hard to get sheep to lie down. When the shepherd takes the sheep out to the pasture and they begin grazing early in the morning and Sheep will walk along as they graze. They're never still, I'm told. And by mid-morning, 10 o'clock or so, and the sun is out and the sheep are hot and they're tired and they're thirsty, they just won't lie down. Now, you look at a pig. I grew up on the farm. A pig would lie down. A pig would get, find a mud puddle somewhere and wallow around it. A cow will finally lay down in the pasture. We have some longhorns over close where I live, and it's fun to kind of watch these longhorns. And a lot of times you'll see them lying down under a shade tree, just kind of chewing their cud. A cow will do that. But sheep don't want to lie down. And the wise shepherd knows the sheep must drink when it's hot. But, but he, they must not drink rather when it's hot. And they must not drink when their stomachs are filled with undigested grass. And so what the shepherd does is he gets them to lie down somewhere. He finds some place where the grass is soft and where it's cool and in a good spot for them and get them to relax a little bit. That the sheep must be free from fear and tension. They cannot be aggravated by flies or by parasites. They must be free from hunger. And so the shepherd must see that as they're free from these disturbances, that they're able to lie down in green pastures. Keller says that something as simple as a stray jackrabbit can spook a whole flock of sheep. And when one of the sheep takes off running in fright, all the others will follow along. But there's nothing that calms the sheep like seeing the shepherd in the field with them. And so we read in the New Testament, and that's surprisingly so, that when Jesus was born, where were the shepherds? They were out in the field with their sheep at night. Because that's what the good shepherd does. The good shepherd is with the sheep. You know, as I think about you and I today, in the world that we live in, we, we live in an uncertain world. We live in an unsure world. We, we live in a time, it seems, and in history when at any moment disaster can strike. I mean, just think about some of the things that have happened just in the last month or so. I mean, with how many hurricanes? We had three hurricanes, and we've had flooding, and, and we've had a, a shooting, maybe the two shootings. I mean, all of these kinds of things, we read about bridges collapsing or pileups on the highways or, or all of these kinds of things. And we live in a very disturbing kind of time. 
God says in Psalm 46 and verse 10, be still and know that I am God. That's another way to say that the shepherd helps us to lie down in green pastures. There is a time to get away from the crowds, a time to relax, a time for calm. And then he leads me beside the still waters. I always wondered why. I thought this was just poetic. The still waters. Well, I learned that sheep are afraid of moving water. That sheep are very timid. And they have reason to be afraid of rushing water. Because sheep are not good swimmers. And if you think about it a moment, that makes a lot of sense. Because of the heavy coat of wool. I mean, how would you like to put on an overcoat and then jump in and try to swim? I mean, that would be about like a sheep trying to swim. And so because of this fear, a sheep does not want to drink from a fast rushing stream. And so the good shepherd knows what to do. You take the sheep to a still water where the sheep can drink from that. This section of the psalm is a very comforting section. And it reminds me that God knows our limitations. And He knows what we can what we can deal with. God does not laugh at our fears or condemn our humanity or the frailty of our flesh. In fact, in Psalm 139, David there talks about that, that he knows that we're frail and he knows that we are like dust and he understands our, our humanity. In fact, if he didn't, he sent Jesus to this earth and Jesus for sure knows it, doesn't he? Because he's the God-man that came to experience that. And so as we deal with things in life that we don't have to feel like that God doesn't understand, that God does understand and that God cares. And, and the good shepherd doesn't force us to go where we cannot safely go. In Psalm 27 and verse 11, the psalmist said, Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. God never demands more of us than we're able to accomplish. He ministers to our needs. Jesus, the good shepherd, said in John 7 and verse 37, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Indeed, the shepherd, our shepherd, leads us beside the still waters. And then he says, He restores my soul. Think about who's writing this. David. And we typically think of the epitaph, a man after God's own heart. But how many times in David's life did David need restoration and revival, revitalization that, that David was down or discouraged or, or dealing with some problem in life? And there are many Psalms we're going to see as we read through the Psalms in the next three months that speak to this. Psalm 42 and 11 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Well, you think about the trouble in David's house. You think about David's sin with Bathsheba. You think about uh, the infighting with his, with his uh, stepchildren. You think about the rebellion of Absalom. And even before that, you think about when he was a young man and how that Saul pursued him and tried to take away his life. And so when, when David writes here about the Good Shepherd, that he restores my soul, he knew something about that personally. 
But he understood that as he writes here about the sheep. Keller talks about something called a cast sheep. You say, a cast sheep? Well, yeah. A cast sheep is a sheep that is turned over on its back and it can't get up again. And apparently this happens more than I would have ever thought that it would, would have happened. And the sheep can ultimately die if it stays down on its back. That's one of the reasons why that you see a read of shepherds counting their sheep to make sure they're all up on their feet and one's not lying down somewhere that he can't see it. And if it's been on its back for a long time and it's lying there helpless, the shepherd will turn the sheep over on its side and then it will rub its legs to restore the circulation to its legs and then gently lift the sheep back up on its feet. And so the good shepherd watches out for the cast sheep and he watches out for predators and he watches out for the ones that are helpless and are easy prey. The Lord is my shepherd. He is there to keep me from getting down and not being able to get up. He lifts me up. And he restores my soul. And when I have lost my way, like in the parable that Jesus told in Luke 15, the good shepherd goes out, doesn't he? And he brings home the wayward sheep. Yes, hasn't he sought us when we were astray? And sought to bring us back into the fold of safety. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. You know, a sheep, I understand, has no sense of direction. The sheep wander off. Again, unlike other animals, uh, a dog or a cat uh, seems to have maybe some internal compass where they find their way back. I mean, every once in a while in the newspaper you read about an animal like that, or especially a dog or a cat, that has wandered away or been left somewhere, and it has come many miles back to its home. But a sheep is not like that. A sheep can become easily confused and, and lose its way. And I alluded to the passage a while ago in Isaiah 53 that we all are like sheep who have gone astray. And so our shepherd knows where he is going. The shepherd leads. The shepherd says, I am the way. The shepherd says, follow me. We need to follow the shepherd. Another thing that I learned in this study was that sheep have poor vision. It is said they cannot see more than about 10 or 15 yards ahead. And so if you look at the terrain and the geography of Palestine and how it's covered with narrow paths and some of these might lead over a precipice uh, and finally the sheep would fall to their death and others might lead to a blind alley or a cavern somewhere. It is necessary then for the sheep to be led. Are we sometimes like that in their Sunday morning series that we finished this morning, Lies the Devil Tells Us? How many times have we find, found ourselves maybe blinded by the devil's lies and by the devil's deceptions? Clouded maybe by our own selfish desires or obstructed by some worldly thing that catches our eye? We need to keep from going down the wrong road. 
Sheep left themselves will continue to graze the same hills until they turn into a wasteland. And so these sheep must be led to a new pasture, to places where they can get nourishment. And so Jesus, as the good shepherd, leads us to that. He is the water of life and he is the bread of life. And he knows that we need to grow and not stay in the same place. And then we come to this section uh, that we have heard. We've heard this read at funerals. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. This kind of marks a change in tone here, as we often will see in the Psalms. I mean, up to now, it's been as if the sheep were boasting about the excellent care they received. But now he addresses the shepherd directly. And you know the pronouns, I and you. The sheep are on the move many times, and they have to go from home to ranch to summer range to upper elevations, and, and then in the fall back down again to home. There is a place that I am told between Jerusalem and Jericho that is known as the valley of the shadow of death. It was here in Luke 10, very probably, is the parable of the, of the good Samaritan. It is thought that this was what David was referring to here in Psalm 23. It was a very dangerous path. It was very treacherous. Uh, it was filled with, with robbers and just all kinds of bad things could befall. So it might be that this is the place that David literally had in mind. But the point of the passage is that the sheep are safe even as they walk in a dangerous place and traverse a path that is fraught with problems and the potential of danger. Why? Because they are following the shepherd. Now, as I said, we often read this in death or at a funeral. But is there not comfort in knowing that the Lord is with us? If we're dealing with the passing of loved one and knowing that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or as we deal with our own mortality, you know, that's a very real thing that most of us probably don't think much about until we get to a certain age. <laughs> because when we're young... We're not thinking that much about death. Oh, yeah, we see young people sometimes die. But we believe that's the exception. And we're not thinking that we're to that point. But when you start looking at your life, and you've lived two-thirds of your life, or three-fourths of your life, or 80 or 85% of your life, what I mean, you, you just reach a point in years where the law of averages tell you you're getting closer walking the valley of the shadow of death and we will all sometime reach that point how are we going to walk you know there's a song an old song that says i must walk that lonesome valley and i must walk it by myself it's a touching emotional song but it's not biblically accurate is it because we're not alone we're not alone in the valley. The Lord is with us. And as a result, I 
will fear no evil. No fear, no fright, no worry, no trepidation. The Lord's with me. And the Lord will safely carry me, lead me, help me through that valley. You are with me. You can contemplate that thought a long time and what that means. But I suggest there is great comfort and consolation and encouragement found in this particular section. Then he says, your rod and staff comfort me. Bible times, a shepherd carried a rod and a staff. And the rod was kind of like a club that may be needed sometimes. And the staff had a, was a long, slender stick. And as the sheep were comforted by the shepherd's rod and staff, that he uses, he might use the rod, for instance, to beat away a wolf or some type of a predator. He might use the staff with a, with a crook in it to pull a sheep back for some danger. And so both the rod and the staff had a particular function that the shepherd would use. But both are to keep the sheep from danger. Now you think about our shepherd today. The Lord is our shepherd. He warns us. He instructs us. He provides the light of His Word to keep us on the right path and to reveal the various dangers in this world. He providentially though we don't always understand that at the time, delivers us from temptation. You remember in the prayer, the model prayer, to deliver, pray to deliver us from evil or from the evil one, that our shepherd does that. And then our shepherd will pull us back even after we slip, e even after we put ourselves in some perilous situation because we of our own accord wander away. What does he do? He pulls us back. He forgives us. He helps us. He nudges us along the right way. I'm not sure that there's any proof when David penned Psalm 23 exactly. There are different opinions about it that he might have penned this when he, before he became king and was still a shepherd. And that's certainly a possibility. But I would think even this, that if David did pin this at an earlier time in his life, I would wonder if David might not come back to what he had written at some of the times when he had gotten off the path. During that seven days when the child born to the union of him, Bathsheba, was sick and he prayed to God. And he thought about his shepherd Maybe the shepherd is nudging him back to where he needed to be. That David knew he'd slipped. He admitted. He, in other Psalms will read, I have sinned. Isn't it comforting to know that we have a shepherd that is there for us, and even when we wander away, will bring us back into the fold of safety through his rod and through his and then he said, you prepare a table before me. Now that really sounds strange, doesn't it? 
I mean, have you ever seen, seen a sheep sitting at a table? <laughs> well, no, you haven't. But the high plateaus of the sheep ranges are called mesas. Did I pronounce that right, you Spanish-speaking folks? Mesa, which is the Spanish word for table. And then there's an African word for mesa that I, I won't even try to pronounce that. But it's believed that this is what David is probably referring to is the high summer range or the mesa or table where the sheep would be. It would be hard to reach, but the energetic and aggressive sheep owner would take the time and the trouble to get this mesa ready for the flock. He would go out in advance and he would, he would prepare this mesa to get this table land ready. He would look for poisonous weeds and he would take salt and minerals to be distributed over the range at, at strategic spots for the benefit of the sheep. And he would have a plan where they could come up on this table, this mesa, and where they could camp and when the sheep could graze. You prepare a table, a mesa before me. In similar fashion, the Lord has prepared for us. He's gone ahead to check things out. God, our Father, sent His Son Jesus to this earth and He prepared the way for us. He was tempted, the Hebrew writer said, in all points like as we. He knows our struggles. He knows our sorrows. He endured things that we endure. He knows what it is to be a human being. And He has prepared the way for us. And in the presence of enemies, predators, the Good Shepherd is there. And the Good Shepherd warns us, doesn't He, about those enemies that will undermine our spiritual safety. As I think about this phrase, I'm reminded that we need all to walk a little closer to the Shepherd, don't we? And this psalm, as well as so many others that we'll see in our reading here, speak of a relationship that David had with the Lord. And I want you to think about that as you read these psalms. And, and you feel David's vulnerability at times, his transparency. I mean, just don't read these in just a didactic kind of a way. I mean, try to put yourself in David's place and to think about some of the things he's going to call on the Lord. Lord, where are you? I'm in trouble. I'm hurting. Where are you? I mean, almost the audacity of David at times. But what it speaks to is the relationship that he had with the shepherd and how he looked to him for guidance. We all would do well to become that transparent you anoint my head with oil. Well, sheep have a lot of problem with insects and with flies and so forth. And so in Palestine, they would use a combination of olive oil and sulfur and different spices. And they would anoint the sheep's head with those things. And oil was also used at times to cure a scab, a highly contagious disease that would maybe inflict the sheep. And as I think about the metaphor of that, and I think about how that our lives many times are filled with irritations that buzz around us that, that make us not only uncomfortable and annoy us, or maybe nagging doubts, or maybe things that are spiritual diseases that can be fatal. 
that we have the Good Shepherd that anoints us. We're told in Romans 8, verses 16 and 17, that the Holy Spirit helps with our infirmities. And that at times we don't know even how to pray for as we should, but that He intercedes for us. Most commentators believe, and I'm of the opinion in 1 John 2 and 20 and through 20, down to 27, that the anointing there very possibly is talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so far be it for me tonight to try to get off on a sidetrack and do a study on the Holy Spirit and explain all of that. Because when I got done, I'm not sure I totally understand how the Holy Spirit does intercede for us and understand all the things the Bible says about the work of the Holy Spirit that may relate to our lives today. But I know the Bible talks about that. And I think I wonder maybe if that is part of the anointing that may we enjoy today. The medicine that the Lord provides for us Another thing I think of in this context that he has appointed shepherds to see after our needs in James 5, 13 through 16. But if you're sick, call for the elders. They are identified as the shepherds and let them pray over you. And not only attend to maybe whatever physical needs you had, but most of all, spiritually. What a wonderful thing to know that we have the good shepherd to provide anointing for us. And then we come to the conclusion of the psalm and he says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. The entire psalm is devoted to the fact that the shepherd is providing for the sheep. And it's really summed up in his statement when you think about it. That surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. The sheep are in a privileged position. The sheep are safe. The sheep are secure. The sheep are sheltered from harm, from every predator, from their own even missteps. And they are calm and reassured by the loving, thoughtful shepherd who provides. And David is saying that we have that kind of shepherd in the Lord. Let me just take a moment and divert over to John 10. If you'd like to follow along with me. In this wonderful text that Jesus talks about being our shepherd. And I'm going to read the verses 11 through 14 where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf scatters the sheep and catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and he does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep and am known by mine own. And as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. The good shepherd. Merciful, loving, giving, sacrificial. Provides for us, guides us, provides us benefits and blessings if we will stay close to Him. And then He concludes and says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What sheep 
would want to leave such dwelling, such safety. The idea of house certainly would be the sheepfold or the relationship with the shepherd or their owner. But I wonder, too, in using this expression of God's house, because it's used 234 times in the Old Testament, referring to the temple or tabernacle, David uses it a number of times regarding a relationship with God. And so when you think about everything in the psalm revolving around the metaphor pertaining to the sheep, that we have this relationship with the Lord, that the sheep takes us from, or the shepherd takes us from pasture to pasture, from the high mesa in the summer to the lowlands, to the still waters, and then where again? Back home. Back home to the home pasture, to the household, to the flock of the sheep. The sheep is satisfied with the shepherd and with the ownership of the shepherd. And where does he want to dwell? I want to dwell there forever. And in the metaphor of this, Christians are called into God's family, into his sheepfold, into his ownership. You see, this psalm is not about religion. It's about relationship. It's about leading, not driving. About leadership, not dictatorship. About loving and not demanding. And it tells me that we are the sheep of his pasture. I would recommend a 23rd Psalm when you're distressed or stressed, when you're depressed, when you're burdened with care, when you feel remote or removed from God or you seek deeper intimacy with God. This Psalm will comfort you in trial. It will strengthen you in temptation. It will reassure you in times of trouble. And it may help you in praising God to have a greater appreciation for who he is, what he does, and where it is that he's leading you. Would you pray with me for a moment, please? Dear God, thank you for being my shepherd. Our shepherd. Help us to understand that through all that you provide, that we lack nothing that we shall not want. Help us, Father, to find calm in the green pastures of your grace, mercy, and love. Lead us, Father, beside the still waters and provide for us that water of life. And when we're threatened, when we have trouble, when we have distress, restore our soul. Lead us, Father, in the paths of righteousness and may we follow. And Father, when it comes our time in this life to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, may we follow you with assurance and with strength so that we fear no evil, that we know that you are with us and that you will provide and comfort us. Help us, Father, to come to your table, to your provisions, and to realize even the presence of those that ridicule even our spiritual enemies, that you are providing for us all that we need so much that our cup runs over. We pray, Father, that you will provide for us even at those times when we fall short, when we go astray, that you will bring us back into your fold of safety and provide for us goodness 
and mercy. Help us, your Father is our shepherd, to dwell in your house forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're using a hymn book, you can turn to the number suggested. We offer the Lord's invitation. If you don't know the shepherd, you need to. He is the shepherd, and he calls you to come to him to become a part of his sheepfold. The one sheepfold that he has. You understand through previous study what that means and we'll make that commitment through faith, repentance, and baptism. Or if you wandered away from the sheepfold and you need to come back home, he's waiting with open arms to receive you. Would you come as we stand and receive you? Christ, Lord, 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 Lord.